Thank you for downloading this weekend sermon from Bangalore Revival Center. Our desire is to see you grow in your love and pursuit of God, causing you to become a channel of His love and grace to the people around you. Now let's listen to the Word of God. Are you ready to go into the Word of God this morning? Come on, church, talk to me. Yes, come on. What did we learn last Sunday? Grace empowerment. What did we learn last Sunday? It was not too long ago. It was just last Sunday. So it's okay for me to expect you to remember tits and bits of uh, what I taught last Sunday. Any, anything? Anybody? Anything you remember? Yes, sorry. It's okay to mess up, but you will not fail. That's what Jesus said, right? Uh, to Peter. We learned Peter's story and we learned how he had to lay down even his good desires to want to follow Jesus, to want to uh, be a person that is going to carry the heart of Jesus. And, and Jesus restored Peter. After he came back, he asked him, hey, Peter, do you love me? If you love me, come and feed my sheep. And we learned the story of how it's necessary for us to give up our ways, our our dreams, our ambitions, if we want the grace of God to manifest in our lives. Amen. So last Sunday we studied one disciple. Today we're going to study another disciple. Okay. Are you ready for this? Let's go into John chapter 12 and verse 1. It says six days before the Passover celebration. Now Passover celebration is the day when Jesus got arrested that night. It's when Jesus got arrested, right? But six days before the Passover celebration, which means six days before Jesus got arrested, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man that he had raised from the dead. Jesus loved this home. This was the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And the Bible says Jesus came into this home six days before he was about to be arrested. And Jesus loved to stop by at this home anytime he was passing by Bethany. This was his, one of his favorite few friends. He wept over Lazarus when he died. And, and, and he rose Lazarus back to, to life in, in John chapter 11. You would see that. And, and here it says Jesus came to this house. And the next verse it says when Jesus came, the Bible says a dinner was prepared in Jesus' his honor. And Martha served, you know, Martha is the service person, service in charge, hospitality in charge. It says, and Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him, right? Now, look at this, okay? When Jesus came, they immediately said, hey, when he's in the house, he's the one we honor. Now, check this out, okay? If, if we would be there, we would all want to spend time with Lazarus because this guy was out of this world for four days. You all want to hear his story. You want to know what did you see? What did you experience? How was the world out there? What did you see? Did you go to heaven or did you not make it to heaven? You know, you know what was your experience? Did you meet you know, Moses and all these guys up there? What, what was your experience? But the Bible says when they gathered together, as soon as Jesus came, Jesus was the chief guest. 
I pray that when we come to church, we will have the same desire and we will have the same attitude. When Jesus comes into our church, it doesn't matter how many miracle workers, it doesn't matter how many miracles we've had, it doesn't matter how many pastors, preachers, whoever comes, Jesus gets the chief table. Jesus gets all the honor. Jesus gets all the worship. Amen. And what is Martha doing? Martha is serving this Jesus. What is Lazarus doing? Lazarus is sitting with this Jesus. And who is the third person in the story? Mary. What did Mary do? Next verse it says, And then Mary, she took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house immediately, it says, was filled with the fragrance. Man, check this out, okay? <laughs> I like it. Because all the service that Martha did for Jesus did not change anything in the house. All the sitting with Jesus that Lazarus did didn't change anything in the house. But Mary, she did something which just changed the atmosphere of the house. Come on, is somebody getting what I'm getting? Are you able to, are you able to visualize what I'm trying to tell you? Okay, from the time Jesus came in here in his honor, they are serving him. Martha is serving him. And Lazarus is sitting and chit-chatting with him. All of that is happening. But there was somebody who had located his feet. And she did something to the feet of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus, which shifted the atmosphere of the entire house. Can it be that all that it takes to change the atmosphere of a church is one good worshiper who has found the feet of Jesus. We're all looking for that worship leader. We're all looking for that, you know, worship team, the music team and all those things. But could it be that all that Jesus needs to change the atmosphere of the house around is one worshiper who knows where to find his feet? Isn't that crazy? The Bible says Mary worshipped and worshipped in such a way that the entire house began to smell like her worship. <laughs> her worship became so contagious that everybody were breathing in her worship. Her worship was so powerful that people became jealous of her worship. The next verse it says, verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who, who would soon betray him said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money should have been given to the poor. What he's saying is, hey, Jesus does not need all this money. Jesus does not need so much, you know, of your time. Jesus does not need so much of your resources. There is somebody who needs your resources more than Jesus and that's the poor people out there in the world. So why don't you go and serve them? Why don't you give this to that person? You know, whenever you worship genuinely, I'm telling you, it will provoke people that don't worship. <laughs> It'll provoke people who have not understood the value of Jesus. They're saying this is one year's worth. Are you serious? This person is the creator of the heavens and the earth. You can give one year's salary to him anytime. 
and that will not even be a sacrifice. That will not be, it will not still be worth it to anoint him. Come on, talk to me this morning. Yeah. Judas did not understand the value of Jesus and that's why he became, you know, offended that Mary would give one year's worth wages to Jesus whereas there are poor people out there in the world who could do better use of this, you know, this money. See, you know, the, when David was worshipping God in the presence of God, you see how Michael, Michael, right? Saul's daughter, she got affected. She said, hey, don't you know who you are? Don't you know that you are the king? Don't you know that you need to carry yourself in a royalty, in a dignity that is not like this? This is not how you dance before people. You have to carry yourself in a certain way. You need to dress yourself in a certain way. And he said, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. I don't care because I am in the presence of somebody whose worth is greater than mine. When Michael saw, she could only see David's worth. But when David was in that situation, in that story, because he compared himself with the worth of the one he was worshipping, he couldn't see his worth anymore. He is like, man, he is worth all that I am and that is my worship. Amen? So if your worship is not provoking somebody else, <laughs> your worship may not necessarily be worship. It may just be songs. It may just be, you know, cute, uh, cute, you know, that's all. But if, if your worship is real, I'm telling you some demons will get affected by it. I'm telling you the, the atmosphere in the house will get affected by your worship. I'm telling you when you come into this place and when you come, don't come to just, you know, get a nice sermon and go back home. That's not why we come into the presence of Jesus. We come to honor the one that is above every other one. Amen. And, and when we... Can, can you imagine if, if uh, 50 people, 50 people who, 50 Marys come here. 50 Marys. If one Mary can change the atmosphere of a church. And if 50 Marys walk in here, Sunday after Sunday, with a desire to, you know, lay it all down, just break it all at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine what will happen to our city? Man. The Bible says with one, they, you could cast out a thousand and two or ten thousand can you imagine what will happen with 50 people who are set on fire who are so sold out in worship for Jesus now our topic this morning is not about Mary I'm just inclined to go into that our topic is about Judas the man who was affected by this the man who said man this is it's not worth it now this is the guy who walked with Jesus now if you read this story, the next verse, it says, It was not that Judas cared for the poor. Everybody say he didn't care. He didn't it's not that he cared for the poor. He was a, come on loudly. He was a, a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Now, now we know the real reason why he's saying give this to the poor people. Because he knows in the transition from, you know, Mary to the poor people, it has to go through him. And he gets to keep his share, his cut, his commission. Uh, give me some of it. I, 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 I want to take some of it. And, 
and the bible calls him a thief see what we think is all of a sudden one day judas got upset with jesus and judas wanted to betray him that's not how it happened it happened on a consistent on a daily basis from the beginning of their ministry probably this man was the treasurer yes and it says that from the beginning regularly he would keep away some money he would start stealing he would he was a thief the bible says do you know some of us can also be thieves yeah we know how to steal god's glory we we also steal with our tithes you know when we don't give tithes that's what the bible says in malachi chapter 3 it says don't you know you are robbing me when you are cheating you're 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 technically cheating me you're stealing from me that's what god says you know sometimes we can steal from from you know relationships what doesn't naturally normally belong to us we expect we put people in that uh, in that in that place where they are they have to treat us in a certain way they have to respect us in a certain way we 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 manipulate people to want to treat us in a certain manner and all of that is part of stealing what doesn't belong to you when you take it you are technically a a thief and the bible says this guy was doing this all along the funny thing is jesus never corrected him is that right talk to me give me your opinion it's okay to it's okay to be wrong it's okay to prove me wrong jesus never corrected him is that right no jesus corrected him tell me where did jesus correct him this Okay, so Jesus never directly corrected him. In other words, Jesus didn't confront him with his faults. But the whole time, Jesus was teaching about money. Am I right? Did you know Jesus taught more about money than you know heaven and hell? <laughs> Because these guys were in danger of wrong dealings with money, and he knew the need of his disciples. And instead of confronting judas directly what did jesus do he taught them about money this is how you deal with money this is what you do with your resources this is how you have to be honest with your resources he who is faithful with little god will give much more jesus gave them in detailed instructions about money but what happened to judas judas was part of the group he received all the instructions but He, it it never went into his heart now now check this out okay he is walking with jesus now jesus is the epitome of grace jesus is the full definition of grace and what is grace doing grace is teaching grace is not putting a gun on judas's head and said hey bring me back that 10000 or you're out of my team that's not what grace did what did grace do grace started teaching these people what did grace teach grace taught him about money grace taught him about relationships grace taught him about everything and what was the responsibility of judas to receive this and to be transformed instead what did he do he thought jesus is talking about this person and that person and 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 he did not really receive it that's the mistake that so many of us make 
We are waiting for some prophet from somewhere to come and, and lay hands on us and say, my son, you're stealing God's money. No, that will not happen like that. Trust me. Nobody's going to confront you in this house. If you're doing wrong, if you're messing up in your relationship, if you're messing up in your finances, I'm telling you, nobody's going to make you feel bad about it because we believe in grace. And, and we are going to embrace you. We're going to celebrate you. But along the way, we're going to start teaching you what is right. If you receive that instructions that is being given to you, then you will receive life. Amen? Amen. Sometimes we think that, you know, we, we only need the love and the celebration and the blessing and all those things. Don't give me this instruction because this is, this is kind of restricting me. But I'm telling you, whenever we allow a behavior like this to grow, James said it like this. It says in James chapter 1, he said, Desire has the capacity to give birth to sin. And sin, when it grows up, it has the capacity to kill you. The only abortion that is allowed in the Bible is the abortion of a wrong desire. When there is a desire, abort it. Even if that desire becomes a sin, abort it before. It says sin, when it, when it continues to grow over a period of time, when it continues to grow, it leads to death. Now this guy, he was with Jesus for a long period of time, saw signs and wonders, all of those. Jesus so many times tried, tried telling him, hey, somebody's going to betray me. And he always thought it was the other guy. It was Peter or it was John or it was the doubting Thomas. And he never thought that his weakness, he, he genuinely loved Jesus. You know that he genuinely loved Jesus. You know, Judas also loved Jesus, but he didn't know that his weakness could one day become a tree so big that it would actually open the door for a demonic possession. Did you know that happened to Judas? The guy that walked with the manifestation of grace. Give me the verse from Matthew chapter, uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 3. It says, then Satan, come on, read it with me. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples. Man, Satan entered, which means all this while Satan had not entered him. You know, he, he was still a child of God. He was still, you know, a disciple of Jesus. He was still a follower of Jesus. But he had this side business, you know, he had this secret sin that he thought nobody else knew. The disciples knew about it, Jesus knew about it, everybody knew, but nobody confronted him. Nobody put a gun to his head and said, hey, why are you, why are you hanging out with us anymore? Why, why are you still touching our money? Nobody did that. The Bible says because he let that continue, he did not receive correction, he did not receive the instruction, one day the Bible says, Satan entered into Judah. So can it be that small sins can grow up in our lives to not just breed death, but to open the door for the enemy to enter into our lives? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that scary? Isn't that a warning for us to be careful with how we do our lives? How we, you know, manage our of our purity, how we manage our lifestyles. 
The Bible says the next verse, as soon as Satan entered into Judas, what did he do? Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, he went. It says, you can read the verses when you go back home. It says, he went to the leading priest. As soon as that happened, he went to the leading priest and he said, Hey, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? See, it didn't happen overnight. He didn't reach there overnight. It happened over a long period of time. We think that we fall overnight. No, that's not how we fall. We, may mist- we make mistakes overnight. But to reach that place where we are willing to trade our relationship with Jesus for this one small weakness. You know, it starts with a small weakness. But then to reach that place where we are willing to give up our relationship with God because of that small weakness, that takes a really long period of time. And God in His grace keeps teaching us, keeps giving us instructions, keeps covering us, keeps surrounding us with the right kind of people, keeps bringing people in our life that will share their experiences and their stories and and share how they overcame their weaknesses. But if we choose to ignore all of it and reach this place, we may ultimately reach a place where we are willing to give up on our relationship with Jesus. Here is a man, now demon-possessed. Now he's saying, how much are you going to give me to give you Jesus? I don't want this Jesus anymore. I mean, tell me, how much can I get? What will be my salary? What will be, what will I get in return of this? What will I get if I, if I deny Jesus, if I betray this Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. The next verse, very interesting. It says, from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Which means it's not immediately that he betrayed Jesus. But he kept looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Because he's already had a, you know... Satan had entered his heart. He had already made a deal saying, I'm willing to give up my relationship with Jesus. Now, he's looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus, to, to, to give up on Jesus. He's just looking for a way out. Now, this is how you know you are a child of God or if you're possessed by demons. Okay, can I give you the, can we, can I give you the description? If you're a child of God, You'll be like Peter. Even when you know you're going to mess up, you'll still be trying to look for an opportunity to come out of it. You'll still be looking for an opportunity to to have an encounter with Jesus. You'll still be looking for an opportunity to come back to Jesus. You'll still be looking for an opportunity to go back to church and receive another word. You may have messed up hundred times, but you'll still be looking for an opportunity to come back to Jesus. Right? That's what Peter did. Yeah, it says that he was fishing on the boat and this time he had backslided big time. He had, his master had called him away from fishing business. Now he's back into fishing business. Yeah. And then he sees Jesus standing at the shore and calling him. And this time Peter is like, man, I can't wait for this boat to reach the shore. He jumps off the ship and he begins, he began swimming all the way to the shore. Why just to reach five minutes before the ship would actually reach the shore? Because Peter is now running towards Jesus. Why he's, he's, he, although he has weaknesses, although he has struggles, he's still in that place where he's running towards God, not running away from God. But here is a man, he's looking for opportunity to miss 
one Sunday service. He's looking for opportunity to, uh, you know, to not give his tithes. He is looking for opportunity. He's looking for excuses to commit a sin. He is looking for excuses to go away from Jesus. He's looking for excuses to not pray. He's looking for excuses to not obey God. Now, when we are in that place, I'm telling you, we are in a very dangerous place. Because that's a manifestation of something deeper. It's a manifestation of a wrong spirit controlling us. And that's what happened with Judas. And where did it lead Judas into? You all know the story, right? Where did it lead Judas into? The next verse, it says in Matthew 27 and verse 3, When Judas, who had betrayed him, him is Jesus, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. He was filled with regret. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders and he, and he threw it at them. And he gave it back to them. But it was too late. Why? Because he had... He had already been running away from God. He had already been running away from Jesus. The next verse it says, I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. Why? What do we care, they retorted. That's now your problem. See how the, the betrayal is increasing step by step. It began by stealing. Then it it came to a place where he is now mocking other people's worship. Then he came to a place where, you know, he opened his heart to the enemy. Then he went to this place where he is willing to trade his relationship with Jesus. Now he is in this place. It says he, 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 he is regretting all of this. He's regretting and he's saying, I betrayed an innocent man. And, and they said, hey, but what do we care? Now, see... This is the difference between the Holy Spirit and your own guilt. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, it is going to be to bring you towards God. When you condemn, you convict yourself, or when the enemy is condemning you, it is to tell you, man, you have no more hope. Run away from God. Go away from Jesus. Do you think Judas had hope at that time? Come on, talk to me. Are you sure? Why? Give me some reference. Give me some examples of people who've... Sorry? The sinner at the cross, yes. But, but you know, Judas was the next level. He was possessed by the enemy, you know. Possessed by demon. Come on, how many demon-possessed people did Jesus free? Come on. Even if he did not repent, if he would have come to Jesus, do you think Jesus would not have cast out the demon? One word, if he would have, you know, see, when you are when you're filled by demons, it's very hard for you to repent. It's only the Holy Spirit that allows us, gives us that grace. But whenever these people came to Jesus, these demons would not be able to stand in the presence of Jesus. That's when conviction will happen. That's when deliverance will happen. Now here is a man possessed by the devil. You remember some Sundays back we studied that man from Mark chapter 5 possessed by thousands of demons and, and walked into the presence of Jesus and Jesus cast out demons and sent him out to preach the gospel. Don't you think the same thing could have happened to Judas if he would have just chosen to come to Jesus instead of running away from Jesus and you would see what was happening to that man it says he was cutting himself this is what he wanted to do this demon wanted to kill this man this demon wanted to 
kill that man and, and, and in, that Persh, in that story, right? In Mark chapter 5. And as soon as these demons entered into the pig, what did they do? <coughs> Massive pig suicide, right? 2,000 pigs committed suicide all of a sudden, or one, one shot. It couldn't do that till this man, you know, till they were inside this man, it couldn't do that. Why? This man was pursuing Jesus. Now here comes the next story where this man is no longer wanting a relationship with Jesus, no longer wanting to go to Jesus. And what did these demons do? You know the story how this ended? Give me the next verse. It says, And Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and... Isn't that sad? Now I'm telling you that so often we are filled with teachers in the church preachers in the church that tell us that hey it's okay you can do whatever you want to do you can live however you want to live you can behave however you want to behave and nothing will happen to you because grace covers you right i'm telling you there is there you know when we take grace as the license to do whatever we want to do and live however we want to live there is a point when we will when we will be opening doors to spirits, to, to principalities, to powers that can actually kill us. That's what it did to Judas. This spirit actually killed Judas. Anytime that you have suicidal tendencies, where do you think it comes from? It comes from the devil. Anytime you say, I want to die or I'd like to die, I'm telling you, it doesn't come from Jesus. Yeah, it doesn't come from Jesus because Jesus came to give you life. But the enemy comes to steal, kill and to destroy. And that's exactly what happened in this place. Give me Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. Read it with me. Dear friends, I had, eagerly, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation that we all share. Talk to your neighbor. Tell them, hey, we share a salvation. Yeah, and it says, but now I find that I must write about something else. He was actually going to write a teaching about salvation. But then he says, no, no, no. There is a greater need for something else. Now he says, but now I must write about this topic, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. We are in this day and age, we need to defend our faith. What does it mean to defend our faith? Give me verse 4. It says, because I say this because some, come on, read it with me. Some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. What are they saying? They're saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives the condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for they have denied our only master and lord jesus christ what are they saying they're saying hey hey we are covered by grace jesus is there jesus has paid it all so you know it's okay it doesn't matter how you live you will still make it to heaven you will not you'll never go wrong you know, Dr. John was here in our church uh, last month and, and he taught on, on eternal judgment. And he taught about the, the, the hyper grace 
theology, it, it will come up on YouTube in a couple of months. So make sure that you go through it if you were not there at the conference. And it was such an in-detail teaching on how some people have, have taken this doctrine of grace to the other extreme where we say that, hey, you're covered by grace. It doesn't matter how you live, what you do. Now, I'm not saying that grace does not cover your weakness. Peter, it was a weakness, but Judas, it had become a rebellion. You, are, you understand what I'm saying? Peter, in a moment of weakness, he would, he would have those moments when he would make mistakes. He would have those moments when he would, you know, go crazy. He would do the wrong things. But Judas, it was not a moment. It was a lifestyle of disobedience. It was a lifestyle of going one thing after the other thing, of, of stealing and stealing and stealing to the extent of giving up Jesus himself for the sake of some more money to get a good business deal. And he had reached this place where, you know, and, 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 and Jude is saying in the scripture, beware of those preachers that tell you that this God's marvelous grace covers your immorality. Because it doesn't. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29. Read it with me. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. What these guys do? What did Judas do? Let's talk about Judas for this, this morning. Okay? He says, what did he do? He trampled on the Son of God, the first thing. Trampled on Jesus when he said, tell me, how much will you give me for me to give up my relationship with Jesus? What does it take? You know, the world will always offer you that. If you just compromise on this, you can make more money. If you just, you know, give up on this one thing, you know, things will be faster, easier in your life. The world will always offer you that. And the second thing that he did was it says, and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were something common and unholy. You know, you know what, it, what is it saying? It's saying that you used the blood of Jesus like municipality water tap. You know, you know those municipality water tap that are there in public places. Nobody cares about turning it off. If it's leaking, it's leaking. It's not in my house. It's not built to me. I don't care. It's okay. It's leaking. You know, he's saying, hey, you treated the blood of Jesus as something so common and unholy that, hey, anytime you, you intentionally sin and then you come to Jesus saying, oh, wash me with your blood. He's saying, no, 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 that's not what the blood is for. You cannot, you cannot make the blood of Jesus common. Come on, I'm still talking about grace this morning. Yes, this is grace. Grace gives you instructions about the right living. I'll come to that in a while. It says, and what did you do? And you have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Now, who brings God's mercy to us? Who tells us day after day in our hearts? Who is the one who convicts us of our sins? Who tells us that, hey, you should not be taking this money, Judas. You should not be asking this guy for money. He just came to Jesus for healing. Don't charge him a commission for the healing he just got. The Holy Spirit is telling Judas day in and day out. But the Bible says you insult and you disdain, you disconnect and you, you, you treat this voice in your heart as if, you know, just numb this voice. Eh? Just numb that voice in your heart. And that's what 
it says judas did what did he do trampled on jesus treated the blood of jesus as it as if it were common and unholy and what's the third thing he did he snuffed out the voice of the holy spirit he, he disdained insulted the voice of the holy spirit over a long period of time the holy spirit was the one who was bringing god's mercy to us the day we disconnect from the holy spirit i'm telling you we are doing a massive mistake because jesus said you insult the father we will forgive you insult the son we will still forgive you insult the holy spirit man you're gone for life why because the holy spirit is the one who convicts us of sin the holy spirit is the one who convicts us of our righteousness the holy spirit is the one who com- convicts us of the coming judgment how can we know what god is doing if we disconnect from the holy spirit if we snuff out the voice of the holy spirit in our lives now i'm telling you we all we all go through this struggle where we have we want to do what is right but we you know do the opposite thing right let's you know talk specifically about paul's example paul says this in romans chapter 6 and verse 1 he says hey what should we do should we keep on sinning because in chapter 5 he's talking about how when sin increases god's grace increases right the more we have sin the more he gives us grace but then he comes back to this logical argument now because god gives us more grace for more sin does it mean that we should continue to continue to sin come on read this scripture with me paul is saying well then should we keep on sinning so that god can show us more and more and more and more of his wonderful grace no no we cannot do that why verse 2 it says because since we have died to sin how can we continue to live in it we have died to sin that is how we got to live we have died to this habit we have died to this relationship we have died to this to this desire to make money in the wrong way we have died to stealing we have died to this habit then how can we continue to live in it but the reality is sometimes that we have those fights that is going on in our head right we want to do the right thing but we don't want to do the right thing at the same time yeah that's because there is something called as the indwelling sin in us which will not be taken care of till you know you meet with jesus till you reach heaven till the day that you become you see him face to face and you become like him let me explain in paul's language okay give me verse 15 it says well then since god's grace has set us free from the law does that mean we can go on sinning somebody say of course not yeah just because god's grace has has given you freedom from religion from laws and practices and and all these things doesn't mean that you can now live however you want to live no of course not that's worse it says verse 16 don't you realize come on read it with me don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey now if you become you become you can be a slave to sin what does sin lead to that you saw that in judas's life it started as a small sin but when it was left unchecked it led to death right but or you can choose to obey god which leads to righteous living now what am i giving you as an alternative to uh, you know being slave to sin to you know to obey the church rules and regulations no it says you can choose to obey 
God. You have the Holy Spirit's voice in your spirit. Don't snuff out that voice. Continue to obey that voice and that voice will lead you to righteous living. 7 verse 14. Now he's explaining this battle in his heart. Okay, I want you to read it with me. It's very funny. It says, so the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and good, but the trouble is with me. Why? Because I am all too human. I'm a slave to sin. I, my natural tendency, my body's natural tendency is to, you know, do the wrong thing. Is to, you know, when you're driving on the road, your, your natural tendency is you want to hit this guy, you know? Okay, I'm sorry, I'm the only one with that bad unholy desires in my heart. <laughs> you know, I, I used to, uh, I, I grew up with this uh, video game called Road Rash. Have you, do you know Road Rash? You know, that bike, bike thing? Yeah? And it had that if you press the space bar, it will pick up that leg and, and, and kick somebody else and take that guy out of the game. You know, when I got my own bike, so many times I have unknowingly lifted my leg to kick somebody down, then realized, no, this will become a police case. <laughs> and, and I had to stop, you know. Sorry for sharing something. Okay, I'm telling you that I'm also like Apostle Paul. It says, it's, he says, I'm all too human, a slave to sin. This is my natural tendency. Verse 15, give me the next verse. It says, but I don't really understand myself. How many of you know this? Sometimes you say this about yourself. I don't really understand myself, man. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I, instead, I do what I hate. How does that happen? Come on. Paul is saying this, now this is the anointed apostle who is talking about this, okay? So, so we all have the same, you know, struggle sometimes. And it says, hey, but this, this is what happens. Give me the next verse. Now the next few verses keep going. It says, and I know that nothing good lives in me and that in my sinful nature, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I Come on, but I don't, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Come on, is this an, isn't this our story sometimes? The next verse says, but I do what I don't want to do and I'm not really the one who is doing the wrong. It is the sin that is living in me that does it. So there was a sin that was living in Judas that was doing those wrong things. But when he allowed that sin to grow, that sin grew so big that he could come and open a door in his heart for the devil to enter in. Right? Next verse. I have discovered this principle of life that what, when I want to do what is right, <laughs> I inevitably do what is wrong. Okay? I love God's law with all my heart. Now check this out. Paul is saying, hey, it's not like I don't love God. I love God and I love His law and I love keeping the word. I love doing the right thing. But there is this another power within me that is at war with, the, with my mind. Which means there is, a, there, is, there is this thing in my heart. In my heart, God has written His laws on my heart. But my mind, which is not renewed yet, is constantly in battle with my heart with what God has written on my heart. And this power often makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Why am I teaching you this today? So that you can learn to recognize this sin. 
what did God do with Cain? God came to Cain and said, hey, there is a sin crouching at the doorstep. If you will control this sin, you can be victorious. If you will not, then you know what will happen out of you. It will lead to death. So why am I teaching you this? I'm teaching you this to tell you that there is a sinful voice in all of us. That, you know, we want to do the wrong thing. We want to say the right, wrong thing. And we want to, you know, which fights the things of God. Which fights what God wants to do in your life. In the next verse, it says, he's, he's actually calling himself a miserable person. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Come on, read it with me. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? But thank God, the answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Somebody said an amen. What is he saying? He's saying, yes, I have this dual battle within me. Yes, there is a sin within me and in my heart I want to do the right thing. But then, you know, I keep struggling with this. The more I struggle, I know that I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do and I do what I hate and I don't do what I don't hate and you know, I'm in a big jumble, in a big, big confusion. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life of sin that is dominated by sin that ultimately leads to death? Then he says, but thank God, the answer for me is Christ Jesus. When I come to Jesus, he sets me free. He brings me out of that desire. He changes the desires of my heart and he tunes the thoughts of my mind. I can, I can yield myself to him. If Judas would have just gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, I have this bad habit of gambling. You know? If Judas would have just exposed his heart to Jesus, do you think Jesus would have said, you can no longer be part of my ministry team? No. Jesus would have helped him. Any sin that is left unexposed will grow, will become so contagious like cancer that in the dark it will keep growing, 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 eating up all your body parts till, you know, one day it leads to death. Isn't that sad? So let me, let me tell you what grace really is, okay? Are you ready for this? In the next verse. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12. Read it with me. For the grace of God has been revealed. Everybody say revealed. revealed. Now how many of you know that grace is a person? Grace is the person of Jesus. Okay. Now Jesus was revealed. Bringing salvation to all people. And the same grace also instructs us. It says, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Now, Jesus does two things. The presence of Jesus has to do these two things. Sometimes we can just be happy with the revelation of who Jesus is, but not receive the instructions that Jesus gives. That is where we become hyper-grace theologians. We just want Jesus, 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 but no instructions. There are other group who just want the instructions, but no revelation. That's, that's what makes you a legalist. That's what makes you a religion. That's what makes you, you know, there's people that are living by the law, that are living by rules and regulations. We can't do that. We need the revelation and we need the instruction. Somebody say it with me. We need the revelation and we need the instruction. 
we need the revelation of God's love and care for us and we need the instruction that Jesus is giving for my daily living am I right and what is this instruction the instruction is to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures verse 13 he says now we should live in this evil world how with wisdom righteousness and devotion to God now this is the instruction okay instruction is one you turn from unrighteousness but now that you're living here you live with wisdom you live with righteousness and you live with devotion to God and one more element it says while we look forward with hope and we need hope to look forward to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. Amen? Me verse 14. I'll finish with this. It says, He gave His life. Who? Grace gave His life. Amen? Why? Why did He give His life? First, come on, say it with me. To free us. He did not die only to forgive us. He also died to free us. You understand what I'm saying? Which means you don't have to be a slave to your sin anymore. You're not only forgiven, you're also freed this morning. Somebody say, I receive. The next thing it says, and to cleanse us. So not only is God freeing you, but he's also purifying you. This grace, it's instructing you into a lifestyle where you're being purified day after day after day. And the third thing it says, and to make us his very own people, which is to give us a new identity. Now, I don't belong to my organization or to my community or to my nation or to my, you know, family. My my last name doesn't define who I am. Who, Who is my husband doesn't define who I am. Who's my father or who is my child doesn't define who I am. Which church I go to doesn't define who I am. It's the fact that I belong to Jesus. That's what defines me now. I'm a child of God now. He has not just given me freedom. He's also given me purity. He's purifying me. He's cleaning me out. Now he's given me a new identity. Come on somebody. But we, we cannot stop with that. It says not just that he has made us his own people. And he's also got us to be totally committed to doing good deeds which means the fourth thing that he is giving us is he's giving us fruitfulness in our works which means you you're not just going to be somebody who is singing about the freedom and singing about the purity and you know enjoying the identity but when you walk out of this place there will be it says one version it says you'll be zealous for good works you will be totally committed to doing the works of God because faith without works is dead so this morning, what God is saying is, I'm, in, I'm giving you instructions. See, Judas never received correction, but he always received instructions. Jesus was always teaching him. Now, for all of us that are listening to me right now, I'm telling you, you cannot stand before God and say, I didn't know this was wrong. I may not know the specific situation you are going through, but you are getting an instruction. And this is an instruction of grace. Because grace reveals and grace instructs. Grace tells you how much he loves you and grace gives you direction on how to live your life. And how to live your life? Turn away from 
the unrighteousness and live your life with wisdom come on righteousness and devotion to God yeah and, and having the hope of that great day when Jesus will be revealed to us and he says when we live like this what will Jesus do he will free us from every kinds of struggles free us bring us freedom and what will he do and he will give us purity somebody say purity and he will give us a new identity he will call us his own people and he will give us fruitfulness amen read this next statement out with me one two three go grace instructs us and leads us into true freedom purity identity and fruitfulness once again grace instructs us and leads us into true freedom purity identity and fruitfulness come on look at your neighbor and tell them hey grace instructs us and leads us into true freedom purity identity and fruitfulness look at another neighbor find somebody else and tell them hey grace is this morning is instructs us and leads us into true freedom purity in identity and fruitfulness amen you're walking out of this place not just with a revelation of Jesus but also with an instruction from Jesus because if we ignore that instruction we will go the way of Judas amen let's finish with our foundational principle what does it say by now I'm sure we remember this verse do you remember Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 if you remember just close your eyes and say it with me for God is working in me don't say in you in me say for God is working in me giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him that's grace for us church that's grace for us for God is working in me nobody may see it but God is working in me I may not have a lot of good things to show for it but God is working in me giving me the revelation and the instruction giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him that is what grace really is it's nothing about how I can live if I try my own self I'll be so confused and miserable like Paul was but thanks be to Jesus Christ who helps me who gives me the right instructions in the right seasons of life to be to be free from myself to be pure from my past to have the right identity for myself to have the right fruitfulness with all my activities we hope you were refreshed and strengthened by the word of god if you want to know more about God or have a question you would like to ask or even a prayer request you would like to share, do connect with us at dreamingrevival.com. Be our guest for one of our services here at Bangalore Revival Center on Saturdays at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 11 a.m.